Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This episode of Red Inca, we talked to someone who has played two test matches, hitting the winning ones in one of those, and would just like to play more. Hello folks, I'm Shikha Pandey. I'm an international cricketer representing India, and I'm an Air Force officer as well. As an all-rounder for India, she has represented her country over a hundred times altogether. And when I asked her what she wanted to talk about in this podcast, she said why women should play test matches. So this episode is about her experiences of trying to learn the game without playing much multi-day cricket, why she believes the time is now for women test matches, plus some views on women cricket changes and her career in general, and also why I believe she should retire from test cricket and never play another game. Your father has a saying when it comes to cricketers. So my father says, you are not a complete cricketer unless you've donned the whites. And this is with respect to your, you have not fulfilled your potential as a cricketer if you've not played test match cricket. I think that is a perfectly normal thing for an older gentleman to think. Problem is, though, that women cricketers don't really play test matches. They're not allowed to. For instance, one of my all-time favorite cricketers, a supervillain captain, Susie Bates, has never played a test at all. And I don't think what your father is saying is that she is not a cricketer. It's just that he is saying that for him, the ultimate test is test matches, and sadly, women don't play them. What he's saying is that he sees test cricket as the ultimate form of cricket, and that's essentially how you were brought up. Yes, I mean, I still remember as a kid growing up, writing my board exams, I would still wake up at 4.30 in the morning to watch Ashes, watch India play in Australia. I think Test Match Cricket for me as a kid growing up was my ultimate favorite. Obviously, there was no T20 cricket. I'm a 90s kid then. But then, yes, I I absolutely loved uh, watching Test Match Cricket. And there were days that I would watch Test Match Cricket in the morning and go at 10.30 a.m. IST to write my pre-board exams. So I've had a lot of fun watching some immense battles uh, play out in front of me on the television. You have played 100 times for India and you have played two tests. Are you happy or sad with that? Because you just mentioned about Susie Bates, comparing myself with her, I'm very happy. (laughs) Because the year that I debuted for India in 2014, we were fortunate that I got to represent India in the third format. I played test matches as well. Uh, But then I'm not happy that I've just played two test matches. I would want to play many more test matches for India because I think... As a cricketer, like you said, it's the absolute pinnacle of cricket. And I'm sure it is the format that most of us growing up want to play when we grow up. So, yes. It's actually incredible looking at your career because you started playing international cricket in 2014. And you happen to start at the exact time that India play two test matches in a year. It could not be any more perfect. And at that stage, I'm assuming you're thinking, this is great. We could play one or two test matches a year from here on in. And you've played no more test matches since then. 
Yes, I mean, uh, it's also because the other boats were not very interested in playing test matches because I remember when I started playing cricket, I mean, there's a backstory to this. I started playing cricket very late when I was 18. So I started in the year 2008-9 and those two years because women's cricket had merged with BCCI, we happened to play multi-day formats for those two years. So 2008-9 and 9-10 seasons were the ones that I played for my state side. But after that, that format was cracked because... I mean, women were not playing test match cricket any longer. But then once we got to know that we are going to be playing many more test matches from 2014 till about 2018, we had the format again introduced. So in the zonals, we used to play multi-day formats and it was so much fun. By the time we actually started getting a hang of it, how do we go about it, the declarations and all of that stuff, again, the format was crap. So yeah, very disappointing on, in that regard. But I mean, seriously love playing a multi-day format. Well, I think the BCCI, I think, asked New Zealand at one stage if they wanted to play a test, and New Zealand said no, which is why Susie Bates has never played. I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's a crime against cricket if she ends up with no tests. Although, as you know, I'm very big in the stats, and it's incredible when you look through it. There's only been seven women who've played over 20 tests. Charlotte Edwards had a 19-year career and played 23 tests. Elise Perry, I don't know if you've heard of Elise Perry, which she's quite a handy cricketer. Absolute superstar, yes. Probably do everything in this world. Yeah, exactly. She's played eight tests. So it's an absolute ridiculous sort of situation that we find ourselves in. Also, I I just want to pick you up on something that you said there. You keep saying multi-day cricket. You're calling it multi-day cricket because women's cricket doesn't have a first-class system, does it? Exactly. So when I started playing cricket, like I said, in 2008-9, they were two days. When we started playing zonals, the last two years of the zonals were three days. So, I mean, there have been instances where people have been, you know, trying to figure out how to go about declaring the innings and all of that. And I call it multi-day because I understand the fact that you cannot be playing four-day games in the domestic circuit. That's very difficult for you to organize. But when you want to go ahead and play test matches, I mean, you need to prepare for them. If you are not going to be playing multi-day formats in your domestic circuit, probably you you will not have targeted, you know, preparation for the test matches that you're going to play. And you will not have the quality of uh, results that you want to have. So that's why I keep saying multi-day format. When you were coming through and you were starting to play cricket, you would have been seeing young boys of a similar age coming through. Did you find that they were developing quicker because they were playing more cricket and especially more multi-day cricket? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In between tournaments, when I would go practice with under 16 and under 19 boys, there was a stark difference in the way they would think about the sport. And then I realized that their understanding of the game is so much better. I wouldn't say the knowledge, but the understanding. For example, I just give you an example. I was bowling alongside these two under 16 boys. And then I overheard a conversation where they're saying, let's set the batter up. And I'm like, wow. I mean, I had not played international cricket by then. I was 21, probably. I had played three years of domestic cricket, probably two seasons of multi-day format matches. But I still had only heard of, you know, setting the batter up. But there, these two under-16 boys are actually talking about setting a batter up. And I was amazed. I mean, it was something that was actually happening in front of me. And these guys probably must have played the format for quite a long time because they had such good understanding. So I then realized it's not just about the game, but it's about the gameplay as well. It's about the awareness, the game awareness, and how do you go about doing things, playing those three days. So I realized they grow up quicker because in terms of having the skill set to perform at that level. 
and any women cricketer who had played alongside me would not still have that understanding if they have not followed test match cricket so it was amazing i mean just an example that i'm giving you but i was amazed by the kind of understanding they had of the game and i was envious that you know why i wasn't thinking that way and now that i'm slightly more mature i understand all of it and as a kid growing up Megra setting up Sachin, getting him caught behind. I mean, that is the highlight of watching Test match cricket. So I then realized it's so, so, so good to play multi-format based game. Do you think that women's cricket is a little bit one-dimensional then with so many women around the world only playing one-day cricket or T20 cricket? I would think so. I mean, because there are no Test matches happening, the boards also have taken a back seat. So only when we start having, like I said, I actually use the wrong word, if we can have more multi-format series happening bilaterally, for example, what's happening between Australia and England, uh, that way you actually have targeted preparation. And I'm not just talking about one-off tests. I'm talking about probably playing three countries in a year and playing three test matches. And the basic argument that people come up with when talking about women's cricket is the quality is in there. But if you're not going to let us play more frequently, the quality is never going to be there. So make us play three test matches in a year, two test matches in a year, and then we'll have targeted preparation for those games. And you will see the results. I mean, you'll see the quality coming through. So, yes, I do think most of the women cricketers are, you know, white ball cricketers and not red ball cricketers. How do you think it held back your game specifically then? Because you're obviously, you're a bowling all-rounder, a seam bowler for those who haven't seen you play. How do you think it held you back directly? For someone who's played a lot of domestic cricket, I have realized that in India, especially I would say, the wickets are not very helpful for bowlers. So as someone who's played so much, I realized that when I'm going to be bowling, unless it's a new ball and I'm getting it to swing, later on, it's just about keeping it tight. So there's this vicious cycle of bowling dot balls, which lead ahead to taking wickets. We only talk about bowling a lot more dot balls and creating pressure and, you know, then buying a wicket. So for me, in white ball cricket, if you actually go to see, that is the enforcer. But when it comes to red ball cricket, and I'm hoping that is, I mean, that's my point of view. In red ball cricket, according to me, uh, the balance between ball and bat is so, so good. For me, if you ask me, the bowler has a huge say. The bowler is someone who is the enforcer for me in a red ball cricket in multi-day format. So what else? I mean, you are basically learning how to take wickets and not just creating pressure by bowling dot balls. That's the biggest takeaway for me. And I'm a huge advocate having balance between ball and bat. And for me, if we play more test matches, we are essentially learning the skill of taking wickets. Taking wickets and being able to take wickets or learning the art of taking wickets is entirely different for me. And as a test match cricketer, probably I'll have that art. And also this, every format, you get to learn so much. In T20 format, you will not really succeed if you do not have the slower ball variation in your repertoire. So as a test match cricketer, probably I'll get back work on reverse swing. And it's a new art that I'm going to be learning. So I'll enjoy it that much more. So it's an opportunity for me as a cricketer to learn so much more. Just to take it away from test cricket for a minute, do you think that women play enough cricket at the international level anyway? I can talk from the Indian point of view. We, we did play a lot of cricket going into the 2017 World Cup, going into the 2018 T20 World Cup and the 2020 World Cup. Till COVID actually stuck. We were playing a lot of cricket. I mean, we had a busy calendar till then. 
but I don't think women cricketers around the world are playing as much. I mean, there are so many more associate countries or probably countries which have been given full status now. I don't think they are playing enough cricket. I mean, like I said, again, I mean, you want quality to come. You have to have the women cricketers play more only then the quality is going to come. I'm going to give you a question that I haven't prepared you for that's going to completely throw you, hopefully, and make you very upset later. What is more important at the moment, that women are playing test cricket or just getting more women to play professional cricket around the world? See, if you ask me, both these aspects that you've spoken about, they are interrelated, if you ask me. So if you want quality in women's cricket, test match cricket, according to me, is a way you can bring in quality. So a simple way of going about this is actually by expanding the pool of uh, women cricketers or the nations who are playing cricket. Instead of having just 10 teams competing, have 16 teams competing. So if I am the president of a women associate country, which is just qualified to play in the T20 World Cup, I see an incentive. I am a president of a country like Thailand, women's cricket. I know that when I look at the women's scenario, I have a better chance of catching up with the standard of cricket or the quality of cricket. So it's just an incentive for me. First, let them come in and, you know, get into the T20 World Cup. So it will be an incentive. And again, I mean, I'm just going way ahead and talking about this. Have multi-format bilateral series, like I mentioned before. So maybe the quality will not be there. So start with six countries playing, or the top six doing it. So I play against all the other top six countries. And then when the other countries who had just gotten into the T20 World Cup increase the pool from 10 to probably 20, probably 16, I can see a smile on your face. And then when associate countries start, you know, catching up, then get the test matches in. So if you ask me, I cannot really choose between the two because I think they are related, completely related to each other. The first argument against women's test matches is generally that they are too expensive to run. There are a lot of boards around the world that have trouble even doing men's tests, to be fair to them. My argument for that would be that that is exactly the same argument that they used against women's cricket being run in the first place, that it was too expensive and that it would make any money. Now it is actually making money. We're finding a new hurdle for it. The other one is that the quality is not good enough. And I think everything that you've sort of said there is sort of linked to that. Essentially, you played a test match in 2014 when you had very little practice in multi-day format beforehand. The idea that you are suddenly going to be brilliant at test cricket when you haven't played it. One or two players, we see Washington Sundar did it recently for India, didn't we? It does happen, but you're not going to imagine a whole team is going to be completely brilliant at it. And he still would have played a lot of multi-day cricket growing up. Essentially, for those people who say that the quality of test match cricket isn't good enough, so we shouldn't play test cricket, that's kind of like a chicken and egg situation. Because if we don't play any multi-day cricket or test match cricket, no one will get better at it anyway, will they? Exactly. I mean, I read this from a coach of one of the leading women teams and he said that we are playing just one of test in two years, probably. So we are not going to have targeted preparation, like I said. So if I know I'm going to be playing two or three test matches in a year, I'll have targeted preparation instead of just molding my one day a game just to better suit the test match format It's not going to help. So if I, as the coach of the team know that I'm going to be playing three test matches and if the multi-format system comes into play, there are points to be taken. So if I'm not going to be playing one format well, then obviously I'm not going to get those many points. I'll not have direct qualification. I'll go play qualifiers. I mean, 
unless you want to play more games, yes. But then targeted preparation is only going to happen when you play more test matches. And like I said, the more we play, quality will come in. I mean, I remember in 2014, we played one off test against England and then we came back home and played against South Africa. But I'm very sure if we had to play many more test matches against England in England, it would be a close series. And I mean, I'll never forget the test match, the way we played. And for the first time in my whole playing career, we played with four fast bowlers, four medium paces in the team, which has never really happened. So it was amazing from every side of it. So when I look back and think that we actually got to play two test matches, I think I was very lucky. But now that there is a test match, I mean, it's been announced that we're going to be playing a test match. It's amazing just to be thinking about what it's going to feel like. You did a Twitter thread, what, a storm? Was it a storm? A rant not that long ago about a topic that just weirdly became a big deal in basketball again. And I'm a huge women's basketball fan. I think I've told you this before that where I grew up, the local teams, the women's team happened to be, you know, a 20 minute walk from my house and the men's team happened to be in the city. So it was easier for me to get to women's basketball. And I developed watching both of them. So I knew that women's basketball was this kind of sport and men's basketball was this kind of sport. For a lot of cricket fans, women's cricket has been completely invisible up until very, very recently. And then suddenly it's on the TV and they can't help but compare it to the men's game. And the minute they do, they just, ah, women need to bowl faster. Before it was bowl faster, it was hit the ball harder. Then they started doing that and then they changed it to bowl faster as well. Your Twitter thread, if you could surmise it as such, was basically, you people don't know what you're talking about and you should get out of my way. Can you take us through some of your finer points? Firstly, uh, to tell you the truth, Jared, I was very happy that people were talking about it. When <laughs> people are talking about it, actually they're paying attention, I mean, to whatever I had to say. So I was very happy at the very outset that so many people were talking, even if there were negative thoughts or whatever, everyone is free to give their opinion. So, I mean, I found it very, very funny when people came up with so many suggestions about decreasing the length of the pitch and decreasing the size of the ball. I just gave out I mean, I thought they were logical explanations. So people said that to decrease the length of the pitch. I mean, my immediate question was, you want to bring about some change. Why do you want to bring about the change? So if you are telling me that Shikha Pandey needs to be bowling at 135 kilometers per hour as a medium pacer, I'm being very honest. I would love for that figure 135 kilometers per hour flashing in front of my name when I'm bowling. But is it going to do any justice? I mean, you just need the ball to be coming better on the back. Is that the reason? Or do you want me to hurry up the batter? So you need to understand the intent first. Okay, if you want the bowler to be, you know, hurrying uh, up the batter or you want the bowlers to have a upper hand, uh, there are so many other ways of doing it. The balance between ball and bat, according to me, in white ball cricket doesn't exist. In women's cricket, if we know the rules after the first six overs, we just have four fielders allowed. And I can tell you, it's very difficult when an Arisa Hiri is hitting you. And you have to have so many plans on that given day to, you know, bowl to someone who is hitting the ball that well. So that's one thing. There is no question of the balance between bat and ball if you want the ball to be coming really nicely onto the bat. And secondly, with respect to a bowler, if I'm going to be bowling to a Sophie Divine who's hitting the ball so hard back at me with just, what, 18 yards? I mean, I have this duck or probably not bowl the ball to save my life. And it's not going to be doing any justice to the bowler. So I have practiced for 10 years of my life to be able to bowl within the 22 yards and getting the good length ADR and, you know, 
literally marking those areas when I'm practicing. And suddenly one fine day you coming and telling me, okay, just bowl from 18 yards. So my good luck has literally become an over pitch ball. So I have to go back undo everything that I've learned in the previous 10 years of my cricketing life and come back and, you know, start bowling as different Chikapande, which is very difficult. So those were a few things. And then I always have believed that if you can give Sneko and all of those technical equipment into women's cricket, that's how you would want women's cricket to grow instead of, you know, making changes, bringing the boundary lines in. I remember we toured South Africa in 2018, January 2018. And the first thing that the bowlers would look for was after coming down from the pavilion, from the dressing room down onto the ground for warm-up is how short is the boundary line? There were literally days when it used to be 50 meters and we were like, wow. I mean, what am I bowling today? Yorkers from ball one. So that was probably a rant. I would say initially it started with that, but I just wanted my thoughts to be out there for everyone to understand that if 86,000 people could come watch us play mm. at Melbourne Cricket Ground, so we are doing something right. And if you want to compare us, compare us with what we were in 2000s rather than comparing us with men's cricket. Well, I mean, I started covering international women's career around 2009, and I covered it first time professionally for Crick Info in 2012. The difference between what cricket was like then and women's cricket is like now, the men's sport has got marginally better, and someone like Pat Cummins is more accurate than Dale Steen, and Dale Steen was more accurate than Alan Donald. And we're having little changes like that within the men's game. Rashid Khan bowls leg spin, but faster. Right? All those sorts of things are happening in the men's game. The women's game, when I first saw it, throwing the ball in front of a boundary was not an easy thing for most of the women to do. It was quite clear that they were amateur and that they weren't spending all their time preparing for the game. Their boundaries were brought in and people still weren't clearing them. And I've been to a women's big bash game when Harman Preet has come down the wicket and hit a spinner over cover for six. There's also, is it um, Danny Wyatt hit a ball over point for six, I think against Australia and New Zealand not that long ago. When I first started covering women's game, a six was like a huge event in women's cricket. It has completely changed. And also, I think one of the other things you might have talked about in that Twitter rant is it's little things too. If we start making women's pitches shorter, we actually need to make dedicated women's grounds around the world. Women are struggling to get onto the available grounds. Are we going to, all these governments around the world are going to make extra grounds for them? You couldn't play a game back to back either. So you couldn't have the double headers, which is maybe eventually women's cricket will outgrow. But in the short term, that's still quite an important thing for women's cricket. It just seems like it's such a bad idea on so many different levels. And it, because I'm a basketball fan, I always go back to the thing of, oh, we need the women to slam dunk. No, we don't need the women to slam dunk. Women's basketball is a really interesting sport on its own, partly because they don't play above the rim, so they have to be smarter beneath their knees. It can exist and be different, but it seems that we're not quite yet there yet. But I think you're right. The fact is that 10 years ago, people weren't even talking this much about women's cricket. So at least we're at that point, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I was firstly very surprised. And secondly, I was pleasantly surprised that, you know, people were talking about it. And like you said, I mean, we find someone who watched women's cricket in 2009 and has not followed women's cricket at all and is watching women's cricket in 2020. He or she will come up and say that it's gradual. I mean, it's exponential, mm -hmm. uh, the growth in women's cricket, which is not the case with men's cricket. And I guess as a youngster growing up, it's a shame that I 
did not really have women cricketers at my as my idols because women's cricket was not there on telly but i'm very sure right now a 5 year old kid a 6 year old kid irrespective of their gender would still be wanting to play like a mithali raj would be wanting to blow bowl like chulan goswami i mean so it's so important for media houses to cover women's cricket and for people like you to ro- talk about women's cricket and it it helps a lot i mean believe me it helps a lot when we have so much coverage of women's cricket Yeah, I mean, you don't have to pay me to talk about Mathali Raj. I'll talk about it all day. Best technique in cricket. I want to briefly go on to the ICC for a second. So the ICC has just allowed all men's teams with test status, allowed their women's teams to have test status. I've got a lot of thoughts on this, which you may or may not be able to join me in. The first one is that that's an absolutely nonsensical reason to give a women's team status. The whole status system doesn't make sense to me anyway. Just because your team was good in 1928 doesn't mean you should stay test status forever. Sport is supposed to be about performance. You should go up and down. But let's move that to a side for a minute. Now you're saying because your men are good at something, the Brazilian women and the Thai women who are rapidly improving in their markets can't get test status because their men's team aren't as good. And then the third one is that Afghanistan now have a team that is qualified for women's cricket but they don't actually have a women's cricket team so they have a non-existent women's test team it feels like and I had a look at this i think this is right that in the first 10 years of the icc taking over women's cricket which i think happened in about 2004 and 2005 before then the women ran themselves there was only 10 tests played feels like the icc have like just suddenly realized that women could play test too and they've done this i don't know what you would call it it's not even a bandaid is it it's like giving a free drink to someone who has just paid for a drink i mean uh, as players you do not really have much say in what the administration is going to be doing but it's about voicing your opinion and i i'm very sure if you ask any women cricketer right now it's not even paid for their country are playing domestic cricket they would love to have multi day format and they would love to play test match cricket because you learn so much from test match cricket i mean test match cricket and multi day format is actually known to churn out quality players and you are playing cricket probably to become better every day and that's your ultimate goal in life you know to become better at what you're doing so cannot really say so much about what icc is doing but i'm very sure i mean uh, with us playing more test match cricket and probably uh, giving good results they will you know get down to getting the multi format bilateral series into play i mean yes what you said is very unfortunate Uh, very diplomatic of you. Don't worry, no one from the ICC would ever listen to this podcast. A shout out to my friends from the ICC there. And here's the other tricky one for you to answer. Right now, would it be better if there was a women's IPL and there were let's say six teams, a few overseas players, uh, national players, or right now would you prefer there were tests being played more regularly? Let's say every one of the top 6 women's team played two tests a year because I think about this from a development point of view. I'm with you. I think women's test cricket would grow the game and the players would be better. But I also think if you had a women's IPL, you would have more professionals playing. The great thing about the women's big bash for me is not that it's on television and all that sort of stuff. It's that there are now 40 or 50 professional women that weren't there before, which means the whole level of the cricket has been raised in Australia. Women's IPL could do the same thing in India, couldn't it? Yes, I mean we we need to give credit to Women's Big Bash because it is bridging the gap between so many countries. I mean South Africa for example mm. had eight women cricketers who went and played Big Bash this year. So 
if we can have an IPL, I mean, that's the best thing to happen. I mean, I think we have the domestic pool of players. I mean, recently there was a whole huge cry that we do not have the depth, we do not have this, we do not have that in domestic circuit. I played the domestic circuit this year and I can easily tell you there is the depth there. So if you have like you said, six teams. I would love to be part of an IPL. It's T20 challenge right now, but I would want to have an IPL with six teams there. Just for the very simple reason that as cricketers, you want to learn the game. And if you have four international cricketers playing alongside you, you learn so much. Just sharing the dressing room with them, getting to know how they go about their skills and, you know, learning how do they prepare. You learn so much. And also from a bigger picture point of view, a small kid, a five-year-old girl watching so many women cricketers playing cricket will get inspired. And as a kid, I did not really have a women idol, but women cricketer as an idol, but a five-year-old kid would see that, you know, there's so many women cricketers playing, so many matches being played on the telly. And probably parents will also support the kid. I mean, if she wants to grow up, play professionally as a cricketer, the parents would support her dream, which was not the case when I was growing up. I mean, I still had it good. There were so many other women cricketers. When Mithalidi and Juludi talk about their journeys, it is amazing that they still continued playing cricket because it was their passion for the sport that kept them going. So, I mean, looking at the bigger picture, it will be amazing to have a women's IPL bridging the gap between women's cricket all over. And it's important to note, because every time I say this, people go, oh, there's already a women's IPL. No, there's an exhibition tournament at the moment. What you and I are talking about is at least four to six squads of 15 to 20 women professionally paid. And we're talking about minimum 10 games, probably, but hopefully, you know, around 12 to 15 games. We're looking at a proper league, aren't we? Which is what the Women's Big Bash was. I think that is, for me... I'm with you and anyone watching this on YouTube will see that your smiley face question. When I said, what do you want to talk about? You said why women should play test matches with smiley face with the heart things in the eyes. I don't know how to explain that better for anyone listening to this on the podcast, but I understand that. But for me, I just think we need to get as many women playing as possible. And that's why I want to do that. But yes, I think we're in a situation where we should be able to do both. I think, you know, my theory, my theory is that we get, let's say six women teams from around the world, I'd say seven. I'm okay with seven. And we sell it as a global system. We go to Sky and Star and Sony and we say to them, for the next five years, you're going to have this many tests and this many women ODIs and this many T20s. We're going to sell it as a general pool. We're going to make sure all the women are paid, all the umpires are paid, all the ground fees and everything are paid. Then I think there is no doubt that you could get enough money to justify playing all this. Everyone would have a guaranteed amount. And then you have your Women's Big Bash 100 and IPL in between those. I think over the next five years, that would be the perfect way to grow the game. But I want to talk about you just for a little bit here because, you know, we've gone on and on about your pet subject. But I want to talk about your career a little bit. You played two tests and in one of them, you hit the winning runs. As a young girl growing up when India didn't even play many women's tests and it wasn't on TV, how incredible a moment is it for you to hit the winning runs for India in a test match? So recently I was talking to my domestic side and I was asking all the girls which is that one moment which has uh, made you realize that, you know, playing so much cricket is worth it. So for me, hitting those winning runs, playing the test match will, will be a career highlight for sure. I mean, I have actually freed that shirt of mine. I had a souvenir stumps. I actually took, took everyone's autograph and I've actually put it up on a wall here. So, I mean, I, I cannot really describe. And I like reading, so I would always read about bowlers being night watchmen and their anxiety. And 
I can tell you, I was so anxious. I'm a sound sleeper, but I didn't really sleep that night. And the next day, I mean, because we were in England, we wouldn't really get our Indian kind of food. So we would have hash browns and all of that. So all the hash browns from all the tables in the Indian hotel was silently put forward towards my table and said, eat well, you're going to be batting today and you're going to be winning. So all the batters came up to me and gave me all the advice probably for my whole career. And they said, you just need to stay there and play well and throw downs from the batter. Smithy was like, please take the throw downs back well. So I was like, yes, I will. So, I mean, I've always enjoyed playing a test match cricket and the multi-day format as well. I was a bankable batter. I mean, I still bat number four in my state side. So I pride in my batting capabilities and it was amazing just to be there hitting the winning runs. And I read that in 2006, we won against England in Taunton. And uh, Mithalidi, Juludi and Karudi were the only three from the side who had played before. So the morning of the test match, when I got to know that I'm playing the test match first, I was so happy. And then we had this March mass uh, cap distribution ceremony going on. So there were eight of us who had never played test match before and the three of them, you know, distributing the caps. So amazing feeling. I'll never forget. I mean, I actually wrote about it as well. The four days that we played cricket was amazing. The ground that we played at Wormsley was a perfect backdrop and everything. So we'll never forget. We'll always cherish those moments. Do you know what? I've made runs at Wormsley. So I think that actually discounts your runs there a little bit. It's a nice pitch to bat on. Ball comes on very well. You personally, I think this is fair to say, correct me if I'm wrong, I think emotionally you see yourself as a red ball cricketer, not a white ball cricketer, despite the fact you've played a million white ball games. Yeah, I mean, if you ask me in my order of preference, it goes test match one day and then T20. I am an old school in that regard and I would always uh, love to play more test matches. And there's no two ways about it. I've always uh, loved watching test match cricket. I actually watched T20 cricket as a student of the game, thinking about what the, what are the fields that the bowlers are setting and all of that. What slower balls are they bowling? It's more about being a student. But when I watch test match cricket, it's just for pure enjoyment of the game. One reason I say this is I know you're desperate to play more tests and you're hoping to be picked when India play England coming up soon. But you currently average 37 with the bats and 21 with the ball in test match cricket. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think the absolute best thing you could do is retire because those numbers are so good that you're never going to be able to keep them up. And I don't want to look down on you further in your career because your numbers are no longer... You're like on this pedestal for me at the moment. You're like... I call it the Aubrey Faulkner pedestal. And all you could do is, next time you go out, you get, you know, a a net backer from Shrubsall or something. You're out LBW. So I think you should retire from Test Cricket and focus on the white ball stuff. You do not know. I am working so hard to be hussy. And I'm going to be not out in all the innings that I play. And I'm working on my bowling. I mean, I'm a bowling all-rounder. So, I mean, jokes apart, anything to play more test matches. I don't really care about my records. And uh, just to be able to don the whites and get out there, have the red cherry in the hand. I mean, it's amazing. I want to ask you one final question. This is kind of hypothetical. You started your international career in 2014, as we said, and it happened to be the year that India played two test matches. You're a seam bowler, so there's always a chance of back injuries and general muscle things. You're in your 30s now, so you're a dinosaur, basically, by seam bowling. I mean, it's incredible that you can uh, still walk. With that in mind, if you had started in 2015 for India, and by this age, you know, you got a couple of injuries and you could no longer bowl at the same pace, and, and how much do you think you would look back on your career if you had not played a test match and it would have bothered you if you'd missed out on playing a single test match for India? 
Firstly, when I started out playing cricket as a five-year-old kid, I never really thought I would play cricket. I mean, uh, because probably my father is a teacher and I was more, more into academics. So only after I actually got to know that women play cricket and there is such good competition, I started enjoying the sport. And that's why I started training to be a cricketer when I was 18. There was a dream as a kid, doing all those interviews and mock interviews and imitating all the possible bowling actions. I've done all of that. But then when I realized that I could play cricket and I never thought I would get to play test match cricket because test match cricket wasn't happening. So for me, firstly, to be able to represent India was a dream come true. But I would say that playing test match cricket was a bonus for me at that time. And But when I look back, if I had not played test match cricket, I would be really sad. And like I said, for my father, I would, wouldn't be a complete cricketer because I had not played test matches. But then, yes, I consider myself very lucky and fortunate and blessed to have played those two test matches because, to be very honest, we didn't know after 2015 when the other boards were not really very happy having us play test matches against their sides. We were not very sure when we would play another test match again. And uh, to be able to, you know, play another one, hopefully, that will be amazing. So I would be sad that when I would finish my career that I had not played test matches. But like I said, very pleased and uh, blessed. One last question. Sorry, just to put this on the end. You talked about those interviews. There wasn't women's cricket on TV. So when you would do mock interviews back when you were a child, were you pretending that you were playing men's cricket or women's cricket in those interviews? I was playing men's cricket. I'll be very honest. I used to bowl left arm spin. I used to, which was my absolute favorite. I used to imitate every uh, male cricketer possible. I have bowled like Azhar Mahmood. I have imitated Lance Klusner. He was my absolute favorite in 99. I have tried imitating Sean Pollock's action. My sister was a huge fan of Pat Simcox and I was a Sean Pollock fan. So I've done that. I have imitated every possible cricketer and the uh, like I said, I never really thought that women's cricket existed. So it was all about playing alongside all those male cricketers. Isn't it awesome, though, that now there are young girls imitating you? I hope. I mean, when I finished playing cricket, I would consider myself to have done a little service to women's cricket in India if I would be able to inspire at least one girl to take up the sport. Because when I look back, the work that the ex-women cricketers have done for us without, you know, getting any attention, uh, like the way we are getting right now, it's amazing. And probably this will be a little dedication to the work that they had put in. And they never really got appreciation for the work that they put in. So this will just be a little service to the nation. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks a lot, Jared. Thanks for having me. Huge fan of your videos and all the writing that you do. Well, we're cutting that bit out. We can't have people being nice to me. Thanks for listening to Red Inca. There is more information on my guests available in the show notes, including their Twitter profiles, if they have one. This is the important bit, though. Please review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere, really. Share it on all the social medias and just get it out there. If you can, act it out in plays on your balcony with your loved ones. This podcast is made possible by the people who support us at Patreon, so thanks to those who already do. And there is a link to Patreon in the show notes as well. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes everything sound better for your ears, and the theme tune is called The Prisoner by The Red Crickets.
If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com/audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com/audio. That's carshield.com/audio.